If you are wondering what this is, this is Church of Bergen. We gather every Sunday uh, to worship Jesus Christ. Uh, ultimately, the way that we do that is in our hearts, we cherish him as the greatest joy in our lives. Uh, that makes him look very good. But, but other practical ways that we do that, we do that by singing songs, like you just heard, that point to him. Uh, we also do that by giving this little tiny black box back there. That's what we give. Uh, thank you so much for you guys' generosity and your faithfulness in that. Uh, and lastly, which we're about to do, we're going to teach the scriptures, which ultimately point to Jesus Christ as the one who is the answer to all humanity. Um, so, with that said, uh, if you were not here last week, we've been doing a two-week mini-series. I'm filling in for Mike just a couple weeks, uh, and then we'll be starting the book of Philippians next week, which is super, super, super exciting. Uh, we're doing a, a mini-series, two weeks, on change, okay? Uh, We've been using the word transformation, though, the same exact thing. We've been asking this question, how do we change? How does change, how does transformation take place, real change, not superficial change we're talking about here, okay? Um, what this culture is going to tell you, what this world is going to tell you is that the answer to how you change and transform lies within yourself. That The answer is you. You are the answer to you. You are the thing that can fix you, you are the answer. And my friends, I want to love you today enough to tell you that that's simply not going to work. It does not work. It never has and it never will. Uh, because if, even if you do try to find the answer within yourself, if you succeed, it's going to breed pride and self-righteousness, which then you've got to change that. Right? And if you defeat that, more pride self-righteousness. If you fail, it's going to result in frustration and bitterness. Never, never works. This world will continually tell you to do or die, but what I want to point you to today, what I want to tell you today from the scriptures is look and live. I want us to see what do we need to see, what do we need to look at in order to experience true and lasting change, okay? Uh, so last week we looked at just simply how does the transformation process ignite, how does it start? So we looked at Romans 12, verses 1 through 2, and we saw that the Holy Spirit, in order for transformation to begin, the Holy Spirit of God must renew your mind so that you are now able to understand and see something truly beautiful, which is that Jesus Christ was rejected and despised by his Father on the cross for you, so that you, when you look to him, could be transformed into something beautiful in the eyes of God. And that then frees you from things of this world to begin giving your life, your entire life in worship to God. And today, we're going to look at, okay, great, that's awesome. That's how it starts. What about every single day? We're going to look at the process of transformation itself, the actual day-to-day -day process of transformation, and specifically how the gospel of Jesus Christ does that. Amen? Amen. Okay. Real quick, um, I want to just say a short prayer, uh, because ultimately, what I say uh, does not matter unless God actually does something in our hearts. So please bow your heads and I'll pray very quickly. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we exalt you, we praise you. Our cup overflows. We cannot contain, we cannot handle how much glory you have. And pray that you would, as we'll see in this text, that you would remove veils over people's hearts today. They would see the glory of Jesus and live. And if there are some here today who are Christians, but they have been drifting, I pray that you would 
begin to turn them again back to Jesus Christ and see the great glory of the Son of God. Holy Spirit, do your work. Do what you do. Cause the words of my mouth through your word to bear fruit. In Jesus' awesome and glorious name, amen. Please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. One verse. And we can do that because this passage of Scripture is so profound, so dip, so, so dip, so deep, so rich um, that it, it's worthy of a full sermon. So, Second Corinthians chapter three, verse eighteen. Let me get a sip of water. If you do not have a Bible, you can see the verses up here, and that's fine. Follow along with me, and we all. With unveiled face, this is talking to Christians, by the way, and we all, Christians, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, process, into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay, very quickly. If you take out the phrase, with unveiled face, and beholding the glory of the Lord, you take that out, the sentence still makes sense, and we can see kind of the main thrust of the passage. So watch this. Take those two phrases out, and we all are being transformed. You see that? That's kind of the main point, but what I want us to look at is things surrounding that that tell us how we're transformed. What do we need in order for transformation to take place? What is the goal of this transformation? Where is God taking us? And lastly, you'll understand when we get there, what does suffering have to do with this? What does suffering have to do with this? What do we need to be transformed? The goal, and what is suffering? Where does suffering play in with this? Okay? So, let's look at what do we need in order to be transformed. First, you need to see and surrender to the goal of God's law. Where do I get that from the verse? Okay, so let's go back to the verse. And we all with unveiled face. What does that mean? That's a very strange phrase. I could go, I could do a whole other sermon explaining the context, but I just want to be very brief brief, because I want to get to the main point of this verse. Paul is trying to explain to the Corinthian church why the people of Israel are not looking at what the main point of the God's law was, specifically the Ten Commandments. It was meant to point something out. Okay? They, they did not want to see. The reason why the people of Israel in the Corinthian, around the Corinthian church were not believing in Jesus Christ is because they did not understand the whole point of the Ten Commandments. So whenever he preached the gospel, all they heard was law. Whenever he preached grace, all they heard was works. Whenever he pointed to Christ, all they saw was Moses. And their inability to see the whole point of the law, he referred to as a veil over their hearts. So, in order to see the whole point of the law, we need to have an unveiled heart. You see that? So, what's the point of the law? The whole point of the law was to point out what was wrong with their hearts. That there was something 
wrong with them and that God was their only hope to fix them from that very sickness in their hearts and minds. Much like a doctor has to give a cancer patient an MRI to reveal what's wrong with them and they would turn, come to the doctor and be fixed. So, you could say it this way. Veiled heart, veiled mind, veiled face meant blind and resistant heart. And they did not want to see their need for Jesus Christ. Okay, why, why does that matter? <clears throat> in order for you to begin to see transformation and change happen in your life progressively, you need to see the point of God's law, which reveals that there is actually something desperately wrong and sick with our hearts. And that the only answer is that Jesus Christ is the one who can do that. That's the first thing you need to see, is that you need to see and surrender to the whole point of the law, which is there is something wrong with us, and Jesus Christ is our only hope. Okay, but that's not all. Okay, that's, not, that's like first step. That's not, even the main, that's not even the main thing we need. The other thing that we need is we need to daily marvel at glory. Daily marvel at glory. Look at the verse. And we all with unveiled face, it says it right there, beholding the glory of the Lord. Okay. I ran this, this sermon by my wife, and she said, don't get annoyed, but why do we need to see glory? So I got annoyed and came up with some reasons, okay? So here are some reasons why we need to see glory. Because that sounds strange, right? We need, I need to see glory to change? That's weird. You need to see glory for the same reason that everyone's going to be gathered around a TV screen during the Super Bowl. You want to see a great game. And everyone gets really, really, really angry when it's an absolute blowout. Because you want to see the game go to the end and someone kick a field goal to win. You don't just want to see the Super Bowl, you want to see a great Super Bowl. You hope that that happens. Am I right? It's also the same reason why we watch Usain Bolt run the 100-meter dash. We don't just want to see someone run fast. We want to see someone break a record. On the world stage, we want to see that. It's the same reason we spend millions of dollars making epic movies. Okay. Wedding Crashers and The Hangover does not win Academy Awards. Lord of the Rings wins Academy Awards. Why? Because it's a great, glorious, dramatic film. And we want to see those. If, did anybody see the um, Google commercial during uh, the New Year's Eve on television? It took all the trillions of Google searches around the entire world in 2014, and it summarized them. It said, what do all these trillions of search searches tell us about the human race? One of them was, we search for greatness. It's innate in us. We have to see it. We naturally incline to see glory. And only Christianity, the gospel of Jesus Christ, makes sense of this in our hearts. If there is no God, it is accidental. There's no purpose to seeing glory. There's absolutely no reason for seeing glory. There actually is no such thing as glory, no such thing as beautiful, because it's simply an accidental atoms just bumping around in your mind making you look for that. Only in Christianity can we see 
that we were actually made to see it. We were made to behold glory. Even Martin Luther King, when he wanted to see racism change, he didn't say, you guys can do this. You guys can change. He said, I have a dream that one day all, all flesh will behold the glory of the Lord. That's what changes things. And whenever you experience these things, think, think back to like moments, it burns into your heart. And if it doesn't change you permanently, it, it changes you for a moment. And so the way to experience the greatest change is to see the greatest supreme glory which this passage tells us is the glory of the Lord. That's how we experience change. So let's look at the verse, please. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. Now I said marvel at glory. The reason why I said that is because this is not, the way we behold is not like the way that we look look at a beautiful piece of art, contemplating it and, and analyzing it and inspecting it. It's like the, rather, it's like the way that we stumble, when we see a mountain scenery that we stumble across when we're on a hike. It takes your breath away. That's how you need to see Jesus Christ. He needs to take your breath away. You need to behold him in that way. But, okay, <clears throat> some of your translations might say, because this beholding is not perfect. Some of your translations might say, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. If that's what your translation says, say amen. Okay? Some of your translations might say that. That is an accurate translation. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. The reason why is because our vision now is not perfect. So what, is, what does that mean? So I went, to, I went to John Owen, who was a great Puritan, and he said that this, this vision that we have, this beholding now, is like the way that you see a loved one who's being reflected, a reflection of a loved one in a glass window. You see them, but it's it's indirect. And it might be a fuzzy, fuzzy vision. That's what it is now. And you might recall 1 Peter 1 that talks about how we we don't see him, but we love him. What this means is the way that we behold him as as in a mirror now is by faith and not by sight with our physical eyes. So it's always talk, the Bible always talks about the eyes of our hearts. Okay? With that said, what is the glory of the Lord? What is it that we are beholding as in a mirror? What do we actually see with the eyes of our hearts? If you go down, so the answer to that question, go down to chapter 4, verse 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, and it's going to answer that question for us. What is the glory of the Lord that we're seeing with the eyes of our hearts. This is talking about unbelievers. Unbelievers. Is it up on the screen? We'll go to the verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Talking about unbelievers. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Why? To keep them from seeing with the eyes of our hearts, seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's what we see. That, 
That is the glory of the Lord that we behold as in a mirror with the eyes of our hearts. We see Jesus Christ, his glory in the gospel. And namely, it's about his life, death, and resurrection. But primarily, it centers upon his death. So the way that we behold him by faith now is in the death of Jesus Christ. Which is why we need unveiled hearts to see that Jesus Christ on the cross is the whole point and end of the law. What do I mean? Because when you see Jesus Christ on the cross with your eyes, you see him as the one who fulfilled the law perfectly. You see him who obeyed the Ten Commandments perfectly. He is the one who loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, loved other people with bravery and courage. He's the only one to do that. And in doing that, he earns all the heavenly blessings and glory of God. Only he deserves that. Is that what he received? No. On the cross, he got the curses of the law. Who, got the cur- who deserved the curses? Me. I failed to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love other people, thereby deserving the curse, the condemnation, the judgment, and death. But that's not what I received. The glory of Christ is that he switched places with us. He got the curses that I deserved. I get the heavenly blessings that he deserved. That is the glory of Christ that we behold. The glory of Christ is that even though he was glorious beyond all your wildest imaginations, he gave it all up and went to the most unglorious place on the planet, which is hell on a cross and to the grave, so that you and I could be reconciled back to the glorious place in relationship with God. That is the glory of Christ that we behold as in a mirror by faith today, and that is what transforms you. How does it transform you, though? How does, that, how does the gospel actually work, though? Here's how it works. As you're going through life, you see this beautiful display of grace and glory on a cross. He switched places with me. That is incredible. Now I want to walk in the ways of the Lord. But as you do this, you're going to fall on either side of the horse. You're going to fall on the one side because you're, you're going to fail to live up to those standards and you're going to feel guilt and shame and condemnation. But what is the Holy Spirit going to do then? He's going to lift your eyes off of yourself and see the one who was condemned in your place. And that lifts you out of the dust and you continue walking. And you're going to actually start taking some steps. And you're going to say, hey, I can do this. I can actually do this Jesus thing. I can do this Christianity thing. But in that moment, you're going to begin to fall on the other side of the horse, which is, I can do this. I can justify myself. I can earn my salvation. That that breeds pride and self-righteousness. But what is the Holy Spirit of God going to do then? He's going to redirect the gaze of your heart back on the one who is your righteousness. And you're going to see that Jesus Christ is my righteousness. He is the one. I am accepted by God, not by my performance, but by his obedience. And what does that do? That humbles you every day. Those who feel condemned, the gospel lifts up. Those who feel proud, it humbles. Day after day after day after day. This is how the gospel works. 
But let's look at some very specific examples. We'll take food and lust. How does the gospel change us? Because and, and, some of you want to change in your relationship with food. Some of you want to change in your relationship with lust and sex. Why, why, do we keep, why do we keep going back to these things? Because deep down we want to be filled. We want to be numbed to what's going on in our hearts. So we run to those things for refuge and for comfort. Look to Jesus Christ who had the greatest pleasure and satisfaction in his relationship with the Father. And he was stripped of it on the cross for you. So that you could be brought back to a perfectly satisfying and invigorating relationship with the Father. Why would you ever go back to food and lust when you have that? And so now food just becomes food. And sex just becomes sex and you can enjoy it in its proper context. Or take money. Some of you want to change in your relationship with how you view and relate to money. See Jesus Christ on the cross who was infinitely rich in heaven yet gave up all his heavenly riches for you on the cross so that you through his poverty on the cross might become infinitely rich with the Father. Spiritually speaking there. And so now money is just money. It's just money. Because those are the true riches. Arrogance and pride. You want to become more humble. You want to become less proud. See Jesus Christ who was equal with God. He is God. But he did not consider equality with God a thing to be held onto. He humbled himself for you to the point of a baby going to the cross and ultimately to the grave for you to exalt you to the place of a high status next to the throne of God. So your approval, your affirmation that you're looking for, you no longer have to slave after it. So now you, because you have that with the Father, you can then lay yourself down for other people. This is the way, I I could go on and on and on about the different ways the gospel of Jesus Christ changes us day after day. Let's get really practical, though. Because some, some of you are like, okay, that's great. I can see that, that that's an ama- the glory of Christ is amazing. He switched places with me. That changes how I live every day. But how do I do this? Like, how, how do I do this on a daily basis? What can, I, what can I do? Is there anything that I can do to cultivate this greater vision of the glory of Christ on the cross by faith? Yes. Some of the things I'm going to tell you, you've heard before, but you can't reinvent the wheel. You're going to say, I knew that. You can't reinvent the wheel. You can't do it another way. Daily, you must lay the eyes of your heart before the glory of Christ in the scriptures. Do you want to know why I read my Bible every day? Not because I want to be a really good teacher. Not because I want to somehow earn my acceptance for God. But because day after day after day, I want the eyes of my heart to see him after day after day. And unless you do that, change is going to be very slow, if at all. You must pray as Moses did, show me your glory. Daily, Lord, show me your glory. You could read, you could read books on the glory of Christ. I, I came up with a beginner book, an intermediate, and an advanced. 
There's a book by the name of a man by the name of Matt Papa. He's a worship leader at somewhere else. But he just came out with a book called Look and Live. And here's the subtitle. The soul-thrilling, sin-destroying glory of Christ. The only thing I hate about the book is that I didn't write it. <laughs> I mean, I, I read 70, about 75% of it. It is, it is, it is so beautiful. It, I'm not kidding you. Adults should read it, but a middle schooler could read it. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's easy to understand. More intermediate, R.C. Sproul just wrote a, book, wrote a book called The Glory of Christ. Not just wrote a book, excuse me. He wrote a book called The Glory of Christ. Much more advanced, I do not recommend you go straight to this one. Uh, John Owen wrote a book on The Glory of Christ, which is fantastic, very rich, very deep. But these are all practical ways that you can begin to cultivate the eyes of your hearts to see more of the glory of Christ and actually see yourself change. Here's one more thing that's very practical. You can redirect your heart when it experiences glorious moments, when it experiences beautiful moments. Let me give you an example. It just happened, I think, two days ago. My wife was working. It was just me and my daughter at home by ourselves, and it started snowing. Was that yesterday? It was yesterday, okay? Starts snowing. <laughs> Shh, okay? <laughs> Don't make fun. Um, and it starts, you know, the snow starts coming down like golf ball size at an angle. And, and my, I don't know if I've, my daughter's really ever seen snow fall, so I pick her up and I take her to the window, and the snow is just falling, and we're just staring at it. It was beautiful. Don't stop there. Redirect, I redirected my heart to the Lord, and I said, you, this is merely a signpost pointing you, pointing me to a greater glory in Christ. You must train your heart to, anytime you experience a beautiful moment, to, to redirect your gaze to him. Redirect your gaze to him. And this will begin to cultivate a, an ability in your heart to see more of him. That is, that is, those are just some small practical ways that you can do that. This is how we change. We must see and surrender to the goal of the law that Jesus Christ is the end of the law. He's the one who fulfilled it and died the curses for you. And you must behold that daily. But where is God taking us? What's the goal? What's the goal of this? Look at the verse again. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. That's the goal. Image of what? The image of Jesus Christ. And Paul the Apostle in Philippians 3 is going to explain to you that the image that we're conforming to is becoming like Jesus Christ in his death. We're becoming like him in his death. What does that mean? It means when he went to the cross, he had the heart of a lion. He had this confident trust in the Father, and he went boldly. Yet outwardly his mouth was shut. He was like a lamb. And we, as we behold the glory of Christ, are becoming more like that. The glory of Christ makes us more confident in God's love towards us, makes us have the heart of a lion, Yet, so which then affords us the ability to be much more humble, meek, and serving to other people. 
it reverses what we normally have. We usually have a lamb-like heart. We're afraid. And so we have to bolster ourselves on the outside, but the gospel flips that and transforms you. And this is the goal. And he's, it's doing something beautiful inside of you. And this matters because you no longer have to try to do something with your own life. You no longer have to try to control and worry about what's going on in your life. You no longer have to try to make yourself look perfect on Instagram and Facebook because God is already doing something amazing with you. You don't have to feel this innate, insane desire to continue to try to do something awesome with yourself because God's already doing it as you look to the glory of Christ on the cross. This is the goal. And it's a very slow process. Because look at the verse. And we all with one unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. It's a degree a day. Day after day after day. And if you're frustrated with where you're at now, it's because you're constantly looking at yourself. If you stare at a child, you stare at a plant, for one day you're not going to see any growth. You need to lift your eyes off of yourself and onto the glory of Christ in the gospel as he sits nailed upon a cross. You need to get your eyes off of yourself and see him as he changes you day after day. Look at him day after day, and then you'll be looking back and you say, how did I get here? It's the glory of Christ that transformed you. And you can know this is going to happen. You know that he's going to do it. He's going to do it, because look what the last sentence says. For this transformation process comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. One commentator said you can translate that sentence, this comes from the sovereign spirit of Christ. The very one that you're looking at, the one who's on the cross, the glorious one, is also the one who reigns and rules and controls everything in this universe. He will complete this. He will do this. Now we're going to, but let's land the plane. Because I, I wonder if some of you um, the shadow of suffering might be hindering your ability to see the bright shining sun of Jesus Christ. And you can just barely, you can barely breathe. And you're saying, I, I don't know how God's doing anything with me in this thing that I'm going through. And the reason why, I, I know that I'm not just tacking on a little thing about suffering here. Because the very context of this verse is talking about, Paul's talking about how the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms us, especially in the midst of great tribulation, affliction, and suffering. Go down to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and this is where we're going to end. Verses 17 through 18. Verses 17 through 18. So we do not lose heart. We don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. Why? Though our outer self is wasting away, 
our inner self is being renewed day by day. Day by day. That sounds like degree, one degree of glory to the next. Okay, you see the next word? What's that word? For. Means because, so he's about to give us the reason why we can know that even though outside my life is insane and my body is wasting away and I can't even breathe, there's something still happening inside of me. How can I know that, God? Because this light momentary affliction, that word affliction is a very big word that encompasses every type of suffering from being made fun of to losing a loved one. It encompasses all of that. How can I know? Because this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look, not do, look to the things that are seen, not, excuse me, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Why? For, because the things that are seen are transient. They're passing away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. If the circumstances in your life are driving you mad and you can't even breathe, again, you must lift your eyes off of yourself, off of what's going on, and you must behold the glory of Christ on the cross. And this is what's, in, this is what's crazy. That this thing you're going through is actually, literally, doing something in you. You see that phrase, is preparing for us? That actually means that the suffering itself is doing something in you that you can't get. But it's doing something. It's working in you an eternal weight of glory that you can't even comprehend. You must lift your eyes off of yourself, off of what's happening, and see the glory of Christ on the cross. He's not telling you to look at heaven. He's telling you to look at Christ and to see him as your righteousness, see him as your forgiveness, see him as your glory, see him as your rest, your comfort. You're not looking at heaven. Heaven without Christ is hell. If Christ is not in heaven, I don't want to be there. And that is who you must look to, especially in suffering. Because it will work something in you that you can't even comprehend. Can you fathom that? That this God would not say, escape suffering. But I am so wise that I can even use it through the suffering of my son to do something in you. That is profound. And you will not find that anywhere else. Come to Jesus and you will live. I'll close with a great verse from Shane and Shane's song. My heart and flesh may fail, the earth below give way, but with my eyes I shall see the Lord. Seated high upon that day, behold the lamb that was slain, and then I will know that every tear was worth it all. Look to Jesus today. Would you pray with me?
our glorious heavenly Father, we praise you that your glory is shining through your Son, especially in the gospel as it centers around the glory of Jesus Christ on the cross. I pray, Lord, that you would give us hearts to look at him, to be changed by that, to be transformed by that. Especially if there's anybody in here who is going through suffering or something terrible. Give, don't make them lift their heads up. Lift up their heads for them so they can see the lamb that was slain and let him carry them through this as it prepares them for something truly glorious. And we pray all these things in Jesus' good name. Amen.